as I was all oh, in my theory, as I was on my way up the mountain, very, very beautiful. In Michigan, we don't have anything like this. If I could take a mountain or go back with me, I would certainly do that. You really don't. So you're fortunate to be surrounded by a symbol of God's power. You know, David said, I lift up my eyes unto the hills, meaning the mountains, from whence coming my help. And the Bible uses the word mountain to refer to where God lives. So whenever you see the mountains, always remember that they are symbols of God's power, and that God is eternal. A mountain looks like something that has been and will be there forever. Let me thank you very much for the high privilege of being here with you. And I say high privilege from my heart. It's always a privilege to preach God's words. So I am delighted to be with you. I know you are late. I don't have a clock on your watch or anything. And I don't see uh, 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 anything hanging on the wall. <laughs> don't be afraid to tell me what the time is. I don't mind. Because I do it all the time when I speak. It's about, what, 8 o'clock is it? Yeah. 8 o'clock. Well, I'll try to get you up by 8.30 or 8.40, somewhere between there. Is that excessive? No, no, no. excessive to get before you have a lot No, 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 I will not. It's not a switch to luck. I will not. Somebody will be in church today for me. Your people is restoring the mission. And when we think of mission, we tend to think sometimes only of something that needs to be done. That's a mission. Very seldom do we think of the kind of people who need to carry out that mission. If the wrong person goes on a mission, the mission fails. Now, the gospel is a mission that we've been sent on. It is curious that Ellen says that at least twice in Adventist history, Jesus Christ should have come. But he hasn't come. The problem is not that the mission is faulty. The problem has to be with those with the responsibility of carrying out the mission. That is why the mission has not yet been fulfilled. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, meaning the Bible is a holy book. Now it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was written by holy men. It is not inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by vile men. You must have the right kind of person for the particular mission. And so as we talk about restoring the mission, perhaps our greater emphasis should be restoring the people who need to carry out the mission. Because God has no other hands but ours. But we need clean hands and a pure heart. I've often heard people say, how will God reach the Buddhists? Or how will God reach the Muslims? Or how will God reach the Hindus? <laughs> that is not God's problem. God's problem is, how can I reach my people? 
How can I impress upon my people that the reason for which I raised them up should dominate their lives? How can I impress upon my people that they ought to make the gospel the priority in their lives and nothing else? Amen. The Buddhists are not God's problem. Nor the Hindus. Nor the Muslims. God's problem is self-evidence. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, or perhaps from Genesis, yes, to uh, the Gospels, or Acts. God's problem has always been His people. Not the Assyrians, He destroyed them. Not the Egyptians, He destroyed them. Not the Amalekites, He destroyed them. It has always been His people. I wanted to lay that foundation before getting into our message for tonight. It is entitled The Silence of Omnipotence. I want you to understand all we that is not the mission that needs to be restored. It is us. There is nothing wrong with the mission. There is a lot wrong with us. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we come into your presence on this Sabbath evening. And because of this Sabbath, Lord, it is holy. Our thoughts, our words, our actions must reflect our understanding that this is holy time. And we are supposed to be a holy people because we worship a holy God. Father, as we discuss your holy word, grant to us your Holy Spirit that the words we hear might be the truth as it is in Jesus. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There are some people who will do nothing for the church unless the church organizes it. Are you listening to me? Let me repeat that. There are some people who always have to wait on the church to plan something evangelistic for them to do something evangelistic. And they fail to realize that whether the church plans something or not, I can make an individual decision that this is what I will do for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether I go to work, at play, at my country club, at a medical office where I work, at uh, the supermarket where I work, as I walk along the beach, as I drive down the street, wherever I am, under whatever circumstance, we need to understand that God looks to us first as individuals. What can I do for the cause of Christ, whether the church has an outreach program or not? I want to stress this personal responsibility. Because it goes all the way into the area of personal salvation. We're not saved as a church. Not first and foremost. We're saved as individuals. 
Now the Bible says in John 3.16, say that with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now look at that verse. For God so loved the world. What is meant by the world? What's meant by the world? The mountains? The streams? Us. People. For God so loved everyone who has ever come into this world that he gave his only begotten son. Now God arranged for Christ to come and die long before this world was made. He did not need our permission. I want you to follow me closely. In Revelation 13, 8, the Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from when? The foundation of the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, This is Paul writing to Timothy, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This arrangement that Jesus Christ would die was put in place long before the world was made. God did not need our permission. Are you with me? He did not need our permission to provide salvation for every individual. Didn't he? It was provided for all. Now let's look at a very interesting situation. Let us go and look at the two thieves on the cross. Let's go to Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 39. As we continue the silence of omnipotence. Luke chapter 23, reading from verse 39. I'm reading from the King James Version. The Bible says, And one of the malefactors which were crucified with him, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now the verse says, one of the malefactors. What is a malefactor? Someone who does bad things. One of the malefactors railed on him. If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Next verse. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verse 43, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. If you read the story only in Luke, you will assume that only one thief made fun of Christ, and the other thief was always supportive of Christ. But that's not the case. The Bible is clear. Both thieves at one point blaspheme Christ. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 27, reading verse 44. Matthew 27, reading verse 44. As we continue the silence of omnipotence, here we have Matthew 27. We have verse 44. The Bible says, And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now, what 
the same what the chief priests had said, what those who passed by had said. They said to Christ, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The passers-by said it, the chief priests said it, and the scribes and the elders. And so verse 44 said, the thieves, both of them, cast the same. They said the same thing to Jesus. But at some point, one of the thieves had a change. Now let's examine that. Let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 23. Reading from verse 39. As we continue the silence of omnipotence. Luke 23, reading from verse 39. Now Luke, now Luke is writing clearly at the point from which one thief had changed his mind. And Luke says, and one of the malefactors which were crucified with him railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now listen to the sermon preached by the second thief, the one on the right. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. Now what does he mean by we indeed justly? The thief is saying that what we are receiving on our crosses, we had it coming, as we say today. We deserved it. We deserved to be crucified. And it goes on to say, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Now we need to understand, realize, and confess and admit that we deserve to go to hell. What have you got to say, man? <laughs> Unless you think you deserve to go to heaven, you don't. And I say that with great respect, you don't. No living being deserves to go to heaven. We deserve to go to hell. What Jesus suffered, you and I deserved. Yeah. And so that thief on the right, he said, we indeed just before we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Now, he makes another mighty point. You see, our Savior is a God-man. Christ is human, and Christ is divine. The thief perhaps does not even know the words that God has put in his mouth. In verse 43, in verse 42, he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In verse 41, he tells the other thief. Now I want you to picture this very clearly. Jesus is in the middle, and the thieves are on either side. Christ was in the middle to represent the fact that he was the worst of the three. Now here are the two thieves on either side of Christ. Can you see them leaning forward to talk to each other? Or leaning back? Because Christ is in the way. Perhaps the thief on the right was 10 feet from Christ, the thief on the left 10 feet from Christ, and Christ smacked them in the middle. And they are talking across Christ. And the thief on the right says to the one on the left, as he leans off the cross to catch the attention of his partner in crime. This man, he calls Jesus Christ a man. This man hath done nothing amiss. Then in verse 42 he says, Lord. Now only a Lord 
can save me. A man cannot save me. Unless that man is both man and God. Or Lord. He calls him man, which he was. And he calls him Lord, which he was and remains. Amen. The thief acknowledges that Jesus has lordship over his life. He says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The thief acknowledges that Christ is coming back to establish his kingdom on this earth. And the thief recognizes only Jesus Christ can save him. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The Bible does not record. The Bible records what Jesus said to the thief on the run. Verse 43, Luke chapter 23, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, what is required to be in paradise? Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, read verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I do what? Will I do what? Give to eat of the tree of life, which is where? In the midst of the paradise of God. Overcoming and titles one to a place in paradise. That thief on that cross in his recognition of Jesus Christ as the Savior, he had overcome in that moment. And Jesus said to him, look at how verse 43 begins. And Jesus said to whom? To him. How many thieves were up there on that hill? Two. To how many did Jesus speak? One. One. For whom did Jesus die? Both. Now I want you to think. How is it possible that John 3.16 can say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and yet Jesus Christ, while he was carrying out this act of death, Hanging on that cross, dying for the world, he saves the thief on his right and says nothing to the thief on his left. The one on the right will be the kingdom, the one on the left will be hell. How can that happen? He was silent to the one on the left. Not a word. The silence of omnipotence. The same ability he had to save the thief on the right way. He said, Verily I say unto you, no doubt, no questioning, no uncertainty. I have it in me to save you, that's why I have died. That's why when he said, Come down on the cross, he did not come down. Had he come down, he could not have saved anyone. He saves one. He does not say anything to the one on the left. I told you earlier that God sending Jesus was an act that did not require our permission. Did not require our involvement. God, of his own goodness, he provided.
provided salvation. The provision of salvation has nothing to do with our choice. The application of that provision is intimately bound up with our personal choices. The same access the thief on the right had to Jesus Christ is the same access the thief on the left had. If I could take a Christian license, they were probably the same distance from that central cross. Now, they could represent two groups of people. Those who realize their need for a savior and they reach out. And those who feel no need for Jesus Christ. And there are many that fit the description in the church. We feel no need for Christ because we don't pray. We feel no need for Christ because we don't take time to study His Word. We feel no need for Christ because we take no time to be a part of the evangelization of our world wherever we live. We really don't feel a need for Christ. And so we don't search our hearts to see if there's anything between myself and my Savior. Pharisees and scribes felt no need for Christ, so they said, crucify him. Uh, Pilate said, what shall I do with your king? Crucify him. We don't need him. Is God silent in your life? Is God possibly speaking to some thieves in San Bernardino? Some drug addicts in wherever they are, and saying nothing to many of us that sacred, holy, safe, and secure over there. The Bible says, prostitutes go to the kingdom before describing thousands. Is omnipotence silent in our lives? My beloved brother and sister, you and I have to make a conscious decision that we want God. Amen. We want Him in our lives. We want Him in our hearts. We want Him as a part of everything we do. We want Jesus Christ to be central in our lives and foremost. Let me say something that may sound extreme. There is no circumstance in our lives where we should not be able to fit Christ. Seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh like gift, eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In the middle. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the God. In the middle. That represents Christ. Christ must be central and foremost in our lives. But there's something else to keep in mind. The devil told Eve, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Two things in the midst. 
Christ and the devil. The tree of life, representing faithfulness to God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, representing my own way. They are both in the middle of the garden. And the decision to put distance between you and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, between you and the enemy, is our choice.
we are running with the thieves. Let us, like the thief on the cross, come to the place where we realize, wait a minute, I'm running with the wrong crowd and in the wrong direction. I need to stop. A change of heart. If God came down now, what time? If God came down now, and in his mercy he appeared to you in your room privately, knowing that as well, and he would have said to you, what are you presently doing for me to hasten the coming of Christ? What would you say? Don't tell me. What would you say? I'm busy with school. Busy with work. Busy trying to find a life's partner. If you could stand in God's presence and ask God, what have you done for my salvation? What do you think God would say? What would he say? I'm up there living the life. What would God say? If you were to ask God, what have you done directly for my salvation? What would he say? I died. And I can prove it. I can prove it. I wasn't just running around heaven living a divine life. I came down, I did something precise, something historical, something that can be located in time and space, and I died. And his question there will be, now what have you died for me? What have you done for me to show your gratitude for what I did for you? First John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Christ? Amen. Amen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love Jesus? 
כן.
without what's that there? Lights around your memory vision. Without those things, without uh, laptops, without desktops, without GPS systems. They did it without any of these things that we have, out of which we're proud, but that help us to get nowhere with the gospel. They did it because the gospel was number one in their lives. Christ number one in our lives, we must leave this place tonight and say yes. yes. Not a cosmetic yes, a cardiac yes. yes. From the heart, yes. And whatever happens, happens. Remember the three people, boys, our God is able to save us, but if he doesn't, whatever happens, happens. That's the attitude God wants. Whatever happens, happens. That's not being rash. That's not being reckless. That's being clear about where you stand with God. Any man or any woman who say, Lord, I am making a personal decision for myself. It has nothing to do with the closest person next to me. For myself, I am deciding tonight that I need your help.
those who are lost must feel it before they die. Then there's the other side. The joy of experiencing an indivisible oneness of Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants for us. to say, Father, I want you first in my life. I want you to confirm that decision now by raising your right hand. God bless you. God bless you. Hands down. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the, uh, the concussive effect that the incidents of the cross between the two thieves of Christ has had on us. It's difficult to believe that Jesus, who died for the whole world, spoke to the thief on the right and saved him, and said nothing to the thief on the left. Because the thief on the left did not make a personal decision to receive Christ as his Savior as the thief on the right did. Lord, your problem is not the mission. The mission is perfect. Your problem is the missionaries, not the mission. And the mission suffers because there are no missionaries. Because other things dominate our lives. But Lord, look down into this room, look closely, Father, and see a group of people who have publicly committed themselves Christ first without competition because he is a jealous God. Now Father grant us the faith. Grant us the assurance that when we put Christ first we lose nothing but we gain everything. Lord